Hello, and welcome to Tell Me About Your Neighborhood, where interesting people talk about places in their lives. I'm your host, Ryan Shane Singer, and today I talked to Dr. Jason Scully about his research on location and health. Jason is a good friend of mine, and we had a really great time talking. So I'm trying something different, and uh, this will be the first of a two-part conversation with Jason. So uh, my research looks at uh, mobility patterns. Uh-huh. Uh, basically, most research on the topic has looked at neighborhoods, and they've looked at how your neighborhood affects your health. Uh-huh. And in fact, it's called neighborhood effects on health is the genre of research that I do. Oh, that's pretty on the nose. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's not very subtle. So most of this research has been done using census tracts. We right. look at where people live and we look at the census tract um, inside them. And we have lots of data, um, lots of health data, national health surveys mm -hmm. that um, get people census tracts. And so they have clusters by census tract of health outcomes. Right. So you can say, oh, well, if you live in this census tract, you have, there's a higher prevalence of this disease in the census tract. Right. Um, or there are parks in the census tract. And most, most famous food deserts, which right. are usually measured by census, census tracts. Tract. Yeah. We learned that. Yeah. <laughs> so if you, if you have healthy food in your census tract, you don't live in a food desert. If you have unhealthy food or no food, you live in a food desert. The problem with this is people don't stay in their home neighborhoods all right. the time. They, you travel around. Right. Um, so my research, we put GPS devices on people and we follow them where they go throughout the day. Okay. Yeah. But getting back to census tracts, census tracts are kind of um, kind of limited in what they can do because of something called the MALP. MALP. MALP? What's that sound for? That's, MALP. It sounds like it stands for something. Well, it does, but it's also the sound that um, everyone makes an archer when they're oh, yeah. mouth, 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 mouth. Right. We're plugging our fingers in our ears right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, For folks at home, they can visualize it. They can do it themselves. Mouth, mouth. Stands for the modifiable aerial unit problem. Okay. And basically, what that means is that you can get different results if you draw the lines differently. Right. I know that. Yeah. I didn't know a name for it, though. So yeah. if you live on the edge of your sense, within, if you live within a census tract, but on the edge of it, all the influences and all the health promoting resources might be across the street. Right. Yeah. Right. So you might not have any effects whatsoever. Right. Um, in uh, politics, we call them out gerrymandering. It's slightly right. different. Maybe we shouldn't call it that, but. Right. Gerrymandering in the map are, are very similar and very closely related. Right. Okay. I, and now I have a name for something that I encountered in my own work. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That's interesting. Uh, MAUP, you can Google it. Okay. Um, it's on Wikipedia. Ooh. Uh, anyway, so that's the main problem with this research. So one of the things we've done to overcome that research is using GIS data. And we geocode the person's home so I know exactly where they live on a map. And then we draw a buffer around where the person lives. And we could geek out and talk about Euclidean buffers versus network buffers. But we won't. Uh, no, actually, we will. A network buffer is basically how far can you travel on each of the streets. Right. And if you say, like, a uh, one-mile network buffer, that means that's the distance for this distance you can travel on the street. Right. A Euclidean buffer 
is just is a, the airline distance as right. the crow flies. Yeah, as the crow flies, yeah. right. So, and, and an aerial buffer is going to be a circle because it's just a radius. Okay. Uh, so you can look at either of those and you can look at what's in proximity to the person's home. Right, right. But still, the problem remains, people don't stay within a mile or two of their, their homes. Right, and, yeah. It's um, the problem, like, uh, for example, in my neighborhood, they count things in my walk score that are actually in Manhattan. And yeah. like, yeah, it's a, it's a long walk over the bridge. It's like, oh, it's like an uncomfortable walk over the bridges. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that sounds more like they're using an aerial. Yeah, they use, than the network. walk scores use the aerial. Yeah. That's like the, the yeah. gross uh, sort of way of doing yeah. it. Yeah. And the, the aerial will also capture like water bodies and things that are barriers. So it's like, right. no, you can't. I mean, if there's right. a big bridge. Um, anyway. Uh, so we look at, um, we put GPS devices on people and mm-hmm. we look at all the places that people go throughout the course of the day. And then we can look at all the places that they come into contact with. Mm-hmm. And we can look at this larger pattern of, of influences. Um, and that's my research. So neighborhoods are important and neighborhoods are great, but we have to consider the entire, we call it an activity space. Right. Well, because there's like, there's neighborhoods where people work mm-hmm. and there's neighborhoods where people just recreate too. Like mm-hmm. people go places to shop or whatever. And that's also their neighborhood, right? Yeah. They, they do things there. But then there are all the places in between. There right. are the places where you're traveling between your home mm-hmm. and your neighborhood. And all those places could also exert an influence. Mm-hmm. Unless you're on the subway. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, so researchers in Paris have a hard time with this because there's a great subway system. A lot of our colleagues are in Paris. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they have to figure out how to cut out those places right. and create their, their network patterns. Although, I guess with the G, I don't know how the GPS data, I imagine, works in Paris. Do you lose the do you, you lose, lose the data yeah. right? So it's actually just sort of like appears here and that then becomes a place and then appears here and that then becomes yeah. a place around that station or whatever yeah. they did within that. Okay. Here in Seattle, our GPS traces, um, we lose the signal um, on I ninety. So you see where people go under the. the uh uh-huh. This is a I don't know the neighborhood. Um, so under the convention. Now. Not the convention, but um, center. When, oh, no. when you're going east um, from Seattle. Oh, oh, under I ninety. Oh, yeah, yeah it's yeah. Uh, it's uh, Mercer Island, right? They go oh. under Mercer Island. So you lose the signal there, but in Seattle, um, I ninety goes through a tunnel. Yeah. Um, in Seattle, uh, and it's it's just they. Live oh in yeah, it. it's like the central district. Yeah, right? it's in the yeah. central district area. Right? Yeah. So so you lose the signal there, and then right. you see the signal on the bridge, and then you lose it again under Mercer Island. Does it although? Does it matter? Like, I don't see us, uh, the freeway, you know, experience of a person in a tunnel in a car exerting much influence on their sort of health indicators. Tunnels, less so. It sort of seems like almost like the subway equivalent, right? Mm -hmm. It's like you're sort of in transit. Tunnels, there's just kind of no influence. Yeah, there's no influence. So Um, it's similar to subway so i guess it wouldn't matter but with freeways there is an influence yeah because with freeways um we have there are great great minds who spend all day thinking about ways to get people off freeways with big billboards and right signs and right 
That's why the golden arches are so iconic. So right. when you're traveling at 70 miles an hour, you can see the golden arches and you can know, let's get off here. Right. Yes. Yeah. And um, in most cities during rush hour, freeways don't go very fast anyway. So mm -hmm. just, yeah. Mm -hmm. So the, it's, it's different. Um, anyway, the, the point is a lot of my research is trying to get people to move away from thinking about neighborhoods mm -hmm. and to think about um, the entire activity space, the entire pattern of uses right. that, that for the entire city. Oh. Yeah. That's interesting. And do you, I guess, sort of, the, you were saying, I think I overheard you say that part of your research was not necessarily that they're like the outcomes that you were measuring, but also the method that you were developing mm -hmm. and how important that that was. Yeah. So with, um, one of my, my research problems was looking at fast food restaurants. Uh -huh. There's a fair amount of literature of people saying, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. Uh, people live in proximity to fast food restaurants. Right. Um, the proximity varies. Sometimes it's like a half mile. Sometimes right. It, sometimes it's a census tract, but basically within proximity to people's homes, there are fast food restaurants. Right. And the research is split. A lot of research says, um, if you live in proximity to fast food restaurants, you're more likely to eat there, you're more likely to be abused, you're more likely blah, blah, blah. Right. And the other half doesn't. Right. So the, the going theory is, well, yeah, this research is mixed because we're not looking at the entirety of a person's uh, day. Of the, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, so my um, some of the research before me has used the GPS traces or even just sort of geocoded workplaces to look at what's around workplaces okay um and and this is good so it's like oh when people are driving between home and work they can't come in contact with x number of fast food restaurants and therefore they're more likely to eat at food fast food they're more likely to be obese blah 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 so some studies have shown this but the problem is still time mm -hmm. i mean we're traveling we're not in any one place for very long sure and so time is sort of the grounding problem with um, looking at just home locations because you're not at home all the time. Right. When you are at home, a lot of the time you're asleep. Right. So I not only looked at um, with, within the entire activity space of where people are traveling, I, I looked at um, the number of fast food restaurants they came into contact with on a daily basis, but the average amount of time they spent in proximity to, um, to fast food restaurants. Uh -huh. Yeah. Did was there was there consider I have two questions, but I'll ask this one more immediate one. Was there a accounting for modal split? So were if people were walking by a fast food restaurant versus driving versus taking public transit, did it did it affect the way they like what was a driver more likely to use a fast food restaurant versus someone who's going by one on a on a bus? Um one of the problems with the GPS data yeah. is you can't tell. I mean, we, we have oh, speeds. You, oh, you, yeah. Yeah, with speeds, but that's actually still, like, you could yeah. still be going two miles an hour in a car. Yeah. <laughs> we know that. Yeah. That actually happens. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's like a walking speed, you know? Okay. Yeah. So that, that, that you couldn't break it down by modal split. We, yeah. we couldn't break it down by modal split. Um, but time still counts for that. Okay. Because even if you're 
I mean, it's still kind of an exposure if you're spending half an hour of your day within 100 meters of a fast food restaurant. Yeah. Um, does it matter if you're driving or not? But if you, if you, uh, if you can see, if you know that there's a fast food restaurant there, that's that could... so that's actually something that you can measure is the exposure time to yeah. a fast food restaurant so so uh, that that's what we measured is exposure time um yeah it's like radiation well actually it is <laughs> it radiates outwards so the other part of my question was well well what's a close proximity oh yeah so i looked at um 21 meters this is a number my advisor pulled out of her ass um <laughs> It's, well, it's kind of in urban planning research. It's the maximum distance in which you can recognize a human face. Oh, okay. Yeah. And that makes sense. I've, I've heard that before. Yeah. It's about 75 feet, yeah. which is the distance of most streets. Yeah. Just yeah. a normal street. Yeah. Um, so just looking across the street at somebody. And so I looked at that. Which is a very, very small proximity. Mm -hmm. They looked at 100 meters, 500 meters, and a half mile. Mm -hmm. And 100, meter, 100 meters um, is, is, was used for, by another study to look at walking speeds, to take into account walking speeds. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But they were just looking at counts. They weren't looking at... And, and they were just assuming that people were walking. They didn't know. Sure. Uh, then 500 meters is another one. Um, and, and then a half mile is, is the big one. Okay. Yeah. And in Seattle, the problem is a half mile. Just we're saturated with supermarket with grocery stores. So oh, you have a, a too many grocery stores here. What do you have a lot of grocery stores in Seattle? Oh, uh, we looked at King County. I just used oh, Seattle. Okay. Yeah, short term for King County. But so there are 199 supermarkets in King County oh, as Jesus. of 2011, um, and there are 570 fast food restaurants. Okay. Yeah. Oh. Wow. Yeah. There's some. There's some things to know about, about King County. <laughs> yeah, random fun facts. <laughs> um, there's like 577, so I'm, like, mm -hmm. I round, I'm rounding. Okay. Um, but 199, I know for certain. Yes, yeah. that's a very unique number. Yeah. And these are 2011 data, and these numbers change. Yeah, it changes all, yeah. And we have a very specific definition of both fast foods and supermarkets that don't. Right, work. yeah, 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 I understand that. Yeah, um, but anyway... Uh, so we, we had to look at all these differences and proximities. With, and then what do the proximities mean? Mm -hmm. um, but basically, if you're in King County, a half mile buffer around you at any location, you're surrounded by fast food restaurants. And a lot of your time, I, I can't remember the numbers, mm -hmm. but you spend a good portion of time um, near fast food restaurants. Right. Where we're sitting... Um, I know there's a subway down the street. Yeah, there's yeah. So I've seen that. Yeah, it didn't make me want it. No, I mean <laughs> that that's the other part of it is um, this concept of exposure to food. Right. So what is it about being in proximity to food that makes you more likely to eat food? Yeah. Yeah. That's that's another question, and if we consider these proximities, that's um. That that's part of the picture. When we don't have direct contact with a food place, our decision to eat there is going to be based on cognitive stuff. Like, do, do we know what's there? Do, does it taste good? What's the price? Right. Um, all these things like that. Can, do we, can we get there easily? Right. 
Whereas a 21 meter buffer, this, um, the, this is what we co we're considering exposure, 21 meter, maybe as far as 100 meters. Um, 100 meters is about 400 feet, so it's about the length of a block. Yeah. Um, so it means that you're kind of sensing it. You're like, oh, I'm kind of hungry. Let's, let's stop off at McDonald's. Right. It's also close enough for you to, for example, for Subway and McDonald's, and a lot of fast food restaurants do this, where you can smell it. Yeah. Right? Like, you know, yeah. you're at the end of the, end of the block. You can usually say, oh, there's, yeah. a, there's a McDonald's on this. There's a McDonald's near. <laughs> you don't even have to see it necessarily, although you can definitely see a McDonald's yeah. for, by a block. They're usually very visible. Well, and thanks to marketing, um, we all have these cognitive associations with McDonald's. Um, and if you're a seven-year-old child in the backseat of your parents' car, parents driving down the street, you see the golden arches. Yeah. So you, you have the sensory contact, and then you have the um, cognitive contact. You could start screaming to your parents, let's go to McDonald's right, right now. Yeah, yeah. I, want, I want milkshakes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Uh, did you, were you able to control for uh, income levels? And did, yes. 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 Because I figured, I feel like that would make a difference yeah. because that seems like the strongest sort of correlation be, in our society between sort of levels of, I guess you 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 know the proper terms, but like weight and mm -hmm. health and sort of healthy living is more most strongly correlated with with income levels. Uh, is my yeah. understanding of it. Yeah. I don't know if it's most strong, but it's one of the strongest. It's one of the strongest. And one of the yeah. other strongest education levels. Right. So basically, the richer you are and the more educated you are, the less likely you are to eat at fast food restaurants. Mm -hmm. um, and this gets to a really neat situation. Uh, as I think there's a cultural effect too. Mm -hmm. So in Seattle proper, in the Seattle city limits, mm -hmm. Seattle's a highly educated, very wealthy city. Right. Um, people are less likely to eat at fast food restaurants, even though we're more exposed to fast food restaurants, whether you do a half mile, 500 meter, 100 meter, 20 meter buffer, mm -hmm. people come into contact with fast food restaurants more than they do in the suburbs. People in the suburbs are more likely to eat at fast food restaurants. And this is even when you control for um, income. Oh. Yeah. Okay. But that could also be, that's, I think that's cultural though, right? Do you think that's like the cult, like people are like, I live in Seattle and I'm this type of person and they have a mindset and they may have a person of the exact same income level and education level who has a different, like I live in a suburb, Issaquah or wherever, and I have this type of thing. And for them, eating in a fast food restaurant is a cultural choice versus not eating in a fast food restaurant is a cultural choice. That's exactly what I think is going on. Yeah. Uh, we need to do research to prove that. Right. The other other hypotheses are there's less selection. So yeah, less selection yeah. is, is another counter hypothesis. The third counter hypothesis, people in the suburbs are more likely to have kids. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And kids are <laughs> yeah. maybe just, they like fast food better. They're more susceptible to marketing. I don't know. <laughs> All of the above. Okay. Yeah. So, oh, that's interesting. So these are things that we have to look at in future studies. These are things I want to look at in future studies because it's fascinating. Right. Now, I have a friend, my downstairs neighbor, who um, he's from a small town. Right. And he comes from a working class family. And his 
preferences are for fast food. Right. He loves fast food. And his food tastes are not as um, as diverse or adventurous as typical Seattleites. Right. Um, he's well-educated and he has money. But his cultural right. choices, yeah. he would rather eat a hamburger than have um, injera. Yeah. I mean, I think that makes sense to me, though, because food is cultural. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Tell Me About Your Neighborhood. Join me next week when we continued our conversation with Dr. Jason Scully.